0: Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question, and we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for The Legal One Podcast. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal One Podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. On today's episode of our podcast, we have two very special guests with us. Very happy to have with me today Kathy Lindenbaum, who's president of the New Jersey State PTA. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today on our podcast.
1: Thank you, Dave, for having New Jersey PTA here, and thank you for this great collaboration. Looking forward to it.
0: Also very excited to have with us today Rebecca Gold. Rebecca is currently an interim director of human resources and has been doing tremendous work with us at Legal One over many years, including helping us develop our series of webinars and online courses and so much of our in-person training. So Rebecca, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me here, Dave, and thank you, Kathy. Today's
0: episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they're relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. So let's take you back in time. We're going to go back to the late winter of 1971. Remember what was going on at that time. As a society, we were in a time of turmoil. There was widespread unrest, including widespread student unrest at the time. We had protests that were happening over our involvement in the Vietnam War, and that was happening in our schools too. Dwight Lopez was a high school student at Central High School in Columbus, Ohio. That day, in March of 1971, he was part of a student protest in the cafeteria over our involvement in the Vietnam War. At some point, that protest became a bit unruly. Students did end up causing property damage to the school police were called to respond to the school. Dozens of students were arrested. They were taken to police headquarters. None of the students was formally charged. They were all released. That day, more than 75 students, including Dwight Lopez, were suspended. The suspensions ranged. None was longer than 10 days, but every one of those students was suspended without any formal hearing, without any chance to give their side of the story. And at the time, under Ohio law, school districts could make that decision. They could decide to suspend a student without any sort of an opportunity for the student to give their side of the story, to proclaim if they were innocent, to consider any evidence before a decision was made. There were a group of students who didn't think this was fair. That group of students came together, obviously with their parents and legal counsel, and they challenged the decision of the Columbus, Ohio School District to impose suspensions. So we had Dwight Lopez, the student who was one of many students who were part of this challenge, who brought the case. And you had Norval Goss, who was the director of pupil personnel for the Columbus School District, was named as part of the school district. A number of school principals and other administrators were also named in this litigation, challenging the constitutionality of this decision. So we had some major issues in dispute. The big question is whether or not there was a constitutional right under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment for students to actually have some sort of a hearing before a decision was made to suspend that student. And if there was a right, what did it look like? What were the minimum requirements if we were going to make a decision to suspend a student? This case took several years to make its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. The issue was in 1975, the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately made a decision. And in a 5-4 decision, the U.S. Supreme Court said, yes, school children do have a constitutional right to a hearing. They do have a right to give their side of the story before we make a decision on student discipline. And it was really an extension of a prior U.S. Supreme Court case, Tinker versus Des Moines, where the U.S. Supreme Court had said students have First Amendment rights as well. And the court here said school children do not check their constitutional right at the schoolhouse gate. It's not trivial for a decision to be made on suspension, and students do have rights. The court stressed the potential harm that comes from a suspension. It could impact the standing of that student with their peers. It could have an impact on future considerations with colleges, with future employment. Um, It's an important decision if you're making a decision to discipline a student. The court also recognized, though, that schools are vast and complex and need to make many decisions pretty rapidly, including decisions on things like student suspension. And the court expressed a concern over imposing elaborate hearing requirements before a decision could be made. So ultimately, the U.S. Supreme Court said that students do have a right and recognize that if we're talking about a suspension that's no more than 10 school days, that's really what we consider a short-term suspension. So what are the rights that a student has under this decision? The student has a right to know what he or she is accused of. They have a right to give their side of the story before a decision is made. Now let me stress, the court said, you do not have the right to the sort of full adversarial hearing that you would have in a criminal case. So you don't have a right to bring an attorney. You don't have a right to cross-examine all the witnesses. The hearing, the U.S. Supreme Court said, can in most cases take place within minutes of the decision. So you have an incident, and administrators are trying to figure out what are we going to do about this, and the hearing could happen within minutes of the incident. In many cases, the decision could be made, and the discipline could be imposed right away. In some cases, the student might pose an immediate danger to others, and you might not be able to give the student the hearing that minute, that second, but in those cases, if the student is posing an imminent danger to others and needs to be removed, they still have a right to a hearing as soon as possible. So again, students have a right to know what they're accused of, a right to give their side of the story, and that could include denying that they were involved at all, or it could include providing some context, explaining what happened before or after the incident. And, you know, maybe the student wasn't completely at fault here, and there was some fault to go around to others who might have been involved. And ultimately, before a decision is made, the student has that right, and they have a right to know, you know, what evidence there is that would support that they were actually involved in the incident. So you notice what the court didn't do. The court did not say that we had to wait for parents to come to the school to be there with the child before we could interview that student. And the court considered that issue and considered what rights the student was entitled to. And the court said that the student has a right to give their side of the story, to deny what might've happened or put it in context, but there was no right for us to wait for the parent to come prior to interviewing that student. So this was a 1975 case. Of course, we've had lots of major developments in school law since 1975. That case established the minimum constitutional floor when it comes to due process. we've had some greater due process protections put in place, for example, for long-term suspensions. If we're going to go beyond 10 school days, or if we're going to expel a student, there are much more elaborate rights that a student would have a right to, including in New Jersey the right to a hearing before a Board of Education, before you're going to do a long-term suspension. We also have much greater due process rights now for students with disabilities, and that includes in many cases determining whether the student's behavior was a manifestation of their disability. We have specific state laws since 1975 for things like harassment, intimidation, or bullying, and there are specific due process rights that parents would have when it comes to making decisions related to harassment, intimidation, or bullying. We have legal requirements that require us to pay attention to disparities in discipline that might be linked to issues like race, ethnicity, disability, and other protected classes. And of course, we have lots of new challenges that are linked to things like social media that we certainly didn't have in 1975. And as we're recording this episode of our podcast, we are in a period where many students are in remote instruction because of the coronavirus pandemic. And certainly there are unique challenges and issues to consider when it comes to students in remote instruction. But Rebecca, I wanted to ask you to comment for a moment on the fact that we were dealing in 1971, when this case first occurred, with a period of social unrest and students who had really strong views and wanted to comment on issues that were happening. Not so different from today, is it?
2: Not so different at all. In fact, as you were going through that, the similarities are really unbelievable because you could have been reading from something today if you didn't start off saying 1975. But what I'm thinking of when you're talking about all of this is that it works best when there's communication and it works when parents, students, and staff all know that these are the procedures that are being followed. So there are no surprises whatsoever when any kind of event happens and action is taken. And that can be done through the code of conduct book, that can be done through parent awareness sessions. But I think where a lot of us fall into problem areas is that not a lot of people know that this is established. So they think sometimes that things are made up on the fly. Oh, why did did the police come? Or why did you bring my child in? Whereas if everything is spelled out clearly, in the beginning when nothing is going on, when things are nice and calm and everybody knows what to expect, I think that we avoid a tremendous amount of problems and miscommunications. And as history shows us, as you just showed us, history repeats itself. If you took out the date and just left the unrest in there and the all the things that we're seeing with our students who really want to be part of protesting and giving their opinions and saying how they feel, everybody needs to know the boundaries and guidelines involved with all of that. So there are no surprises and that everybody's prepared for this.
0: And the court did very much balance competing interests in this case. So, Rebecca, one of the things that the court recognized was that school districts are vast and complex and have to make many decisions pretty quickly in order to be able to function. So do you think the court came up with a reasonable balance here saying that you have a right to due process, but it's not the same as a criminal trial with all of the elaborate procedures that would be involved there?
2: I certainly think they do personally, but I also think that that is so important because of the things we spoke about with everything going on today where we see all kinds of things happening and people get involved and then all of a sudden they feel that maybe they're being targeted because of some of the categories we mentioned. So it's critical to know that there is a balance. There are rules. These are what the rules we're going to follow. And I think that the court did an amazing job of recognizing how diverse and more importantly, how complex schools are. When you have 1,500 kids in a building and a couple of hundred staff members, you have to make sure that the rules are there so that number one is safety. And number two, you don't want to have individuals reacting, not reacting, or overreacting without having rules in front of them of how to address these things. Because sometimes when things don't go as we plan and chaos ensues, A lot of things happened that possibly would not happen if people knew the procedures and the rules and know that they have to follow them. And that's for everybody, the students, the staff, and of course, the administrators.
0: So Kathy, uh, thank you again for being with us today. And I I wanted to talk with you a little bit as a parent yourself, of course, um, so in your sort of from your individual perspective and as president of the New Jersey State PTA. Let's talk a little bit about how schools and parents can work together to try to make sure that everyone understands what the expectations are for student behavior and how we can make sure that we are operating fairly and dealing with some of the challenges that come with having proper expectations for student behavior.
1: Well, like Rebecca said, communication is key. That's what we always talk to parents about. And you need to go over what's expected of the students. You need to talk to the teachers to find out what is expected of you as a parent. Also, it's very important to make that very clear to your child, whether they be a special needs child, a typical education child, because everyone needs to know what's expected of them. And if you don't know what's expected and what kind of um, behavior is expected, then sometimes things could go off into a tangent. That's not good. So I always, you know, like to say to parents when we're talking to them, talk to teachers before a problem starts. (laughs) Talk to your administrators before. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. Get to know your child's actions. Know what triggers your student in certain situations and discuss that with your student and discuss it with the teachers.
0: So sometimes we do run into a situation where there is an incident that occurs, but parents may be aware that it's part of a larger set of issues going on between students, so I would imagine that parents can have some really important context to share with administrators in many cases.
1: We, we always like to, you know, um, even myself as a parent of five, you know, if I always know that something could be a trigger for one of my children or if I know something's going on in the house, or something's going on with another student, now you talked about social media. Sometimes, you know, you just have to look at that, monitor it and find out if something seems to be not right on there and just let people know what's going on. People, meaning the teachers, talk to your child about it because one little thing could explode into something that becomes something that if in fact was taken care of before wouldn't have escalated.
0: So Kathy, sometimes we have to make difficult decisions in schools to impose discipline. And of course, that's a a hard thing for a parent to accept if it involves their child. So how do we build that level of trust between school officials and parents so that everyone sees we are still working in the best interest of students, even when we have to impose discipline?
1: Well, again, communication is key. We need to communicate back and forth Good times, times that maybe feel like they're not so good because when you communicate with someone, you begin to trust them. You might not like, like sometimes parents just want to be heard. They might not like everything that's going on, but when they feel they're listened to and they're communicated with, and if something happens, if someone says, this is the route we're going to take, and there might be many reasons why they can't go that route, but the parents need to be told. I know we said this, but we have to do this because this happened. So again, communication is key. Parents have to talk to their students also. It goes both ways, trust goes both ways between administrators, teachers, and the parents as well as the parents, trusting the administrators and teachers. Everyone has to be upfront and we all have to try to work out a solution. Because one thing I wanna say is, and I truly believe this, that the common denominator is we all want our students to succeed parents and families want their students to succeed. And I know that administrators and teachers wanna see their students succeed. So that's the common denominator. And I think once we realize that, that everyone wants students to succeed and we want what's best for the students, I think it becomes one step easier.
0: Rebecca?
2: I think that we also add to everything that Kathy just said, we need to make sure we follow procedures. I believe that parents staff members, all can accept if everybody is treated equally and fairly and follows the same procedure. That doesn't mean everybody gets the same discipline, but it means that everybody gets heard and that if it's in this category of discipline, that's what they get. If it's in the next category, whether it be suspensions or whatever, but if you know that every single person that you're aware of was treated fairly and equally with the same procedures, I believe that we as parents can understand that. So if my child does A and then Kathy's child does A and they both get one day suspension, I'm not going to like it, but I understand that it's fair. If I find out that Kathy's child got nothing and my child got something, That's where a lot of our problems come in, and it goes back to the communication of this is how we're treating incidents, and this is our level of discipline, and everybody will be treated fairly.
0: And as we're thinking about some of the issues about student due process, we're recording this in early 2021 while we are dealing with the challenges of COVID. And certainly there are so many issues to think about related to COVID and the pandemic and remote instruction. But Kathy, any thoughts on how we can adapt to the challenges of COVID and still address student due process rights and still deal with behavioral issues that might come up while students are participating remotely?
1: Well, again, communicate with your administrators, your teachers, and your staff. But also, I want to say connect to the community. There are a lot of resources out there. You involve yourself in parent groups. See what different perspectives are. Groups such as the PTA, SPAN, your local CPAC groups. See what others are doing, what is working, What it's not. You know, when parents involve themselves, reach out to other groups that, you know, find out what their resources are. Communicate with your child's study team before issues become a problem. There are a lot of resources out there. I know it's scary. I'm a parent of five, and it's scary about, you know, the things that are happening, social-emotional needs of students, but, you know, it's parent's job also to, to go out there and try to seek help, and there's plenty of help out there. There's plenty of information out there. There's resources on the internet. Just go to your website, PTA's website, SPAN's website. There are a lot of places out there to get information from.
0: So today we are just dealing with the tip of the iceberg when it comes to thinking about student due process rights and parental due process rights. The Goss v. Lopez case was a critical decision Um, And it did provide an important foundation. It did make clear that students do have a right to know what they're accused of, have a right to give their side of the story, while recognizing as a practical matter that oftentimes school administrators have to make decisions pretty quickly so that in many cases the due process could happen within minutes of an incident. For those who would like more information about student and parent due process rights, we encourage you to go to the Legal One website at www.njpsa.org Legal One NJ. We have great information available on that website regarding student and parent due process rights and information on upcoming Legal One courses and webinars and workshops that help develop a deeper understanding of these very challenging issues. So I want to thank you, Kathy, for being such a great partner on these issues and for all of your great work with New Jersey State PTA.
1: Thank you, David. And thank you, Rebecca. This collaboration is a wonderful collaboration and it's very helpful for parents. Please listen to it. And if you have any questions, please visit the websites given and have a great day.
0: And thank you as well, Rebecca, for uh, your great work and for helping us to understand how important these issues are for all of us to work together.
2: Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I think it's really critical what Kathy mentioned before and what you mentioned. There are communities of people out there to help us to use the cliche. We're all in this together. There is no rule book for a lot of this. We're writing it as we go along and I think it's critical that we reach out for any kind of help whether it be from the school or from other groups that Kathy mentioned because it comes a time where you just have to hear from somebody else and find alternate ways to deal with things and handle them and this is the time that we're in right now with all this going on so thank you for doing this thank you to Legal One and NJPSA and Kathy, your collaboration is so essential. Thank you so much. And Dave, thank you for doing this.
0: Thank you, everyone. I look forward to having you with us on the next episode of the Legal One podcast. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, Please visit our website at www.njpsa.org/legal1nj